This podcast is brought to you by Future Women, a new home for women to come together online and in person. Become a member to gain full access to Future Women's content, events and community. Plus, our packed calendar of member-only social club events. For more details, head to futurewomen.com. Hello, I'm Brooke Boney, your host for Season 2 of Next Generation Innovators, a podcast where we tap into the stories behind some of Australia's most successful entrepreneurs and how they've scaled their ideas into global businesses. So whether you're in business, you own one, or you dream of doing it yourself, these conversations will guide you through the ups and downs of startups, from ideation and development to investment and scale. Some of these women are incredibly inspiring and I cannot wait to share these conversations with you. A phoenix rising from the ashes. That's how I would describe Kit Willow, who's one of Australia's leading sustainable fashion designers. She started not one, but two of the most prolific brands in Australian fashion history. At just 23, Kit launched her first label, Willow. Willow quickly became one of Australia's leading labels and a go-to brand for celebrities and models like Cara Delevingne. I want everyone to win. I want the planet to win. I want the farmers to win. I want the makers to win who are being paid fair living wages. I want the customer to win because she's got something beautiful that she loves and wears. And if she wants to dig deeper, there's positive impact information there for her to understand and storytelling to pass on. Kit went into equity partnership with Apparel Group and was appointed creative director. In 2013, she exited the company. I'm not going to lie. It was I had an absolute in shock moment of how can I, how can I pick myself up? While most people would be crushed by the experience, not Kit Willow. She picked herself up. She dusted herself off. She literally hugged a tree and she started again. Future Women's Next Generation Innovators podcast is brought to you by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. Uber believe good things happen when people can move, whether across town or toward their dreams. Opportunities appear, open up, become reality. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. Kit Willow, thank you very much for joining us on the Future Women podcast. Pleasure. Let's go back to the beginning, to your childhood. Yes. You were raised by a highly creative mother. Yes. What was your childhood like? Um, It was full of good humans and beautiful places and mum comes from a big family, dad comes from a big family. I'm an only child but lots of cousins and aunties and uncles around all the time and we went to Port Douglas every September. My grandparents have a place, uh, had a place there so we'd all go and snorkel in the Great Barrier Reef and that rainforest connection, you know, is sort of really important. And grew up in Melbourne. Yeah. So. That sounds so beautiful. Well, where did your love of clothing come from? I think it's inherent. But you know what? It's probably my grandmother because I went, um, I saw her a few weeks ago. She's 103. And she was just asking me how to style a willow cardigan that she has. 
what to wear with it. We talked about it for about <laughs> half an hour. And then we went into her room. She pulled out the outfit. And then my auntie said, Mum, what are you wearing this? What what, are, what is this outfit for? And Gran said, Darling, it's for an event that got cancelled. <laughs> and she's 103. What a legend. Total legend. So she's a total fashion woman. And I actually think it probably came from her. Yeah. Mm. I love that. I love when older women take so much pride in their um, fashion choices and the way they look and the way they style themselves. I think it's a very French thing. Yes. She's very she, – she lived in um, Paris – for and France for a long period. She's yeah, I think probably French Frenchy style. Yeah, it is. It's that woman like in Paris. You just see her and she's like very feminine. Very yeah, cool. so chic always. Mm. Now you didn't have a traditional trajectory into being a fashion designer. You studied marketing and psychology, but you were you were in the industry from very early on. So tell us about your the beginning of your career? Yeah, so I um, I have a commerce degree, commerce arts, and majored in marketing and psychology. I think I actually, I went to a very conservative school in Melbourne, and I would have probably done, I did want to do fashion, I, that, like, I, that was the course I wanted to do at RMIT, but um, there was no arts training to put, because you had to submit a portfolio, and I couldn't couldn't even put it together. I didn't even know what to do to put mm. it together. And so a lot of schools provide that assistance in the final year. And so, yeah, I ended up doing um, commerce and really interesting though for business. And I, you know, I kind of love numbers, I have to say. I love... A bit of a nerd for numbers. I've got a good numbers feel, yeah. Mm. And and the, the, the practicalities of it is, you know... I find I found it quite interesting, you know, easy and interesting to get my head around. And then the psychology part was the one that I really had a lot of passion for. But while I was studying, I worked in fashion. When I finished my degree, I uh, wanted to launch. I sort of knew that I was going to launch a label, and I ended up going to Georgia's when the new Georgia's opened, and I was in. Um, database entry for buying as a buying assistant and I was terrible at that and and they were like we'll put you in PR and even though I'd done commerce they didn't teach you like PR in commerce it was mm, much, yeah, much more strategic um, uh, and so I was like okay what's that and so then I just went into that and then I was just pulling together all outfits from press and press requests and all over the world and I loved doing that I was sort of styling looks and then all the looks that I was styling kind of got shot so I gained confidence through okay so what I am liking is kind of working and then um, and I loved that retail just looking at the retail store and the humans and how they behave and what's working and what's you know it was a really interesting time and then I got headhunted to go to Witchery and French Connection I would have been probably like 20. 21, 22, as the marketing manager, thrown in the deep end um, with the wonderful Peter Lou, who was the owner. And um, then I left there and started Willow um, when I was 23. So that is so young. And you had a collection of, of lingerie as well at the same time. Yeah. Was that, was that a difficult category to get into? Why did you want to go down that path when you'd had this experience with clothing? I just, um, I, you know, it was probably the business brain as well as, yeah, it was probably the business side of my brain going, there's no 
fashion lingerie. Like you look in a department store and there's just a sea of pastel coloured laces. Where's the beautiful, like there's such an opportunity to have, a, you know, a stunning bra to style under a, a, a sheer singlet or mm-hmm. under like a low back top, you know, like, mm-hmm. or a beautiful strap. So make it part of the fashion styling and in beautiful colours and fashion into lingerie. So that's where I started with and six fashion pieces, launched at Fashion Week, didn't show anyone anything before I did it and entered into the hardest category um, because a bra is like engineering a car. Um, (laughs) And, of course, I jumped in the deep end, as I always do. And, yeah, so that was also an amazing learning curve. So kind of bang out there, you know, it couldn't have kind of been a better launch. And then um, I was like, okay, now I have to produce it. And I had Selfridges in London ordered and Browns. And um, wow. David Jones wanted to do a whole Willow um, lingerie area. Well, they did, um, designed by me. And, like, it was this sort of amazing – it was like pinch yourself. Did it feel like it was an overnight success? Yeah, it did, yeah. That's incredible because yeah. that just doesn't really happen, does it? Yeah, it did feel like that. And – it was great. But then, you know, with that then starts the, oh, my God, I've got to make it. Yeah. And so <laughs> and you go from that and you didn't have any sort of commercial experience under your belt to be able to make all of that happen. What went into sort of getting it off the ground? In oh, those God, because I just it's learned. Because it's one thing to have the idea, isn't it? I just jumped in the deep end. I did all the production on my own. I did all the, you know, the sales on my own, the marketing, the everything, and and then just pulled consultants in and kind of just learned. There was just great people that kind of just started to come and enter in and on board and um, that's how any business is, you know, it's, 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 a, it's a team effort. It's, it's the human power together. Um, so yeah, I cannot take my own, um, certainly can't claim responsibility, but it was, um, it was hard to produce the lingerie. It was really hard and we were late and the qual- there was quality issues and it was a nightmare, but the fashion was much easier and we delivered it and it flew out the door and we reorder, reorder, reorder. And then, then, you know, a larger company came along to help with the, fa- with the lingerie and it kind of, we moved through that. Mm. Um, but as the business evolved, it was m- much more focused on fashion. And then we got asked to go to New York Fashion Week and, and they sponsored a show. So then we sort of entered into the international realm. Mm. Yeah, again, thrown straight into the deep end. And then that took off as well. And, and you know, we were in kind of, oh, we took on like 80 new doors internationally after oh that one gosh. show. Yeah. But we couldn't deliver, you know. So so in that moment where you're sort of looking down the barrel of these huge orders and thinking, yep, let's give it a red hot go. Let's try to do it. And then you realise that you're not going to be able to fill the order or things are going to be delayed. Can you explain to me what you do in the heat of that moment? Because for me, that would be just so terrifying and so much pressure. It is. You're a young woman. So terrifying. I mean, I was in my 20s. It is terrifying. And it's, I should have said no. And and in fact, the agencies that sold the clothes as well should have said, no, we're taking one department store on, not five for the first season (laughs) um, in America, you know, and... Mm. So, yeah, we did, we couldn't deliver. I mean, it's terrifying. I mean, you learn the most then. And then I was like, okay, now we need to consolidate and just get the team right. I need the best production manager. I need, you know, we've just got to get the really good people in place. I need a general manager. I need, you know, so then spent a year sort of doing that. 
and but it's very hard to get the department stores back in America once you've once you've lost them. Yeah, yeah, yeah. absolutely. Yeah, there's too much competition out there. Yeah, and so that was a big learning curve. Yeah, so yeah, I mean, high pressure. Yeah, totally, from an early age. And so, you know, you've, you have learnt, well, you did learn so much in such a short period of time. We all know what happened next. How, how do you pick yourself up when you're faced with something, you know, that, that a lot of people would think, oh, this is the end of my career, I can't pick myself when up. When I lost Willow? Yeah. Yeah, so um, I had a beautiful angel investor um, who was with me all the time and then Apparel Group bought his shareholding and I went into equity partnership with Apparel Group and overnight um, that I was not an equity holder in my the business I founded and nor was I involved on a board level or um, as the creative director anymore overnight as well. So how did I pick my I mean I did find it I'm not gonna lie it was I had a absolute in shock moment of how can I how can I pick myself up actually and I did have I like how dark can it go and I I connected in with nature. I actually, I turned, I looked at my children and I was like, you guys are healthy. You are good. So I I thought, okay, at the end of the day, if they were unwell, that to me, there's nothing that can pull pull you out of that if they were, you know, terminally ill. So I looked at them and I knew they were okay and lots of family support, unbelievable amount of family support. And then I kind of just turned to nature and I had time and I and I went to the park and I held on to these, the willow tree, it was a willow tree in the Vaucluse um, house gardens at the bottom, this magic little spot. And there was a water, there's a waterfall there and this willow tree. And I held on to the, the leaves of the willow tree and I felt, I closed my eyes, I felt this, it was a light, it was, it was coming up through the through the my feet and up and it was this light it was like energy from the earth into the tree earthing I've, and I read something about it at the time there's this um, the Japanese um, forest bathing thing as well so there's lots of evidence that you know being around nature and connecting in that sort of way can... I've tried to do it again with the trees and I, I can't I wasn't it wasn't I'm not opening into it yeah it's like this it's like a un- moment of grace yeah yeah it's this healing. It was like this unbelievable healing of nature. Let nature, nature. She's the, she's the, she's the leader. Mm. She's the mother earth. She knows best. She can wipe us all off in two seconds. We're wiping her off at the moment. And it's the stopping and and appreciating what is and the bigger picture of what also is the reality of mm. life. And you know, we sort of take these big things that happen in our lives is like the biggest thing and it's like taking over your whole head and body but really there's so many other factors and the galaxy and even just mother earth and nature and galaxy and out out, out. that's a much bigger picture we're a little ant on the spot of life in time mm. um dealing with these you know, <laughs> these things that don't matter that so really don't matter you know and if you've got your health and you're alive and you've, you've children health alive family health and alive honestly like that is the core and after that moment i had in that in the gardens I'll never forget it just poured with rain for like four weeks it was like and so I just sat in the living room it was the most perfect it was like this cocoon and so that's what you obviously needed after having such Mm. a big and traumatic experience 
you know, yes. just to sort of bunker down a little bit, yep. figure out what you were going to do next. And so when you were planning, what what were you doing? What were you thinking? So just before I left, before I exited out of Willow, um, I met this amazing man called Johan Zeitz, who's the chairman of sustainability at Kering. And it was a real moment. And he said to me, he invented the environmental PL at Puma and he was there for 17 years and he's just the most extraordinary man. And he said, I said, in the environmental PL, what was the greatest expense line to the planet? You know, you've got revenue in a PL and you've got cost. What was the greatest cost in the environmental PL? And he said, the greatest cost in fashion come to the planet comes from materials. No way. Are you serious? He said, yep all from materials you know freight is very small percentage energy in the building very small but you know and so I thought this is what I have to do this is this is the future so I kind of knew before even when I was earthing and I knew what I had to do but I also had to get through legally the my equity partners at the time some issues there but I was like I want everyone to win and I want the planet to win I I don't want to spend the energy because fashion is so hard you you would you wouldn't speak to a single fashion designer founder that would tell you it's an easy industry it just isn't it's a really difficult such a difficult industry that requires so many humans at so many touch points so the probability of things going wrong is enormous and it's incredibly cash intensive as well and very stressful and very competitive and has a great impact on the planet as well so you know why would I do that and add more product to the planet without having a reason besides just making women look and feel great and empower them and that is planet you know, planet positive conscious sourcing of materials. So it seems like you took something that was incredibly traumatic, incredibly trying and turned it into um, finding out what your greater purpose was. Yes. Yeah. You know, you pivoted from, you know, where a lot of people would just think, oh, maybe this game isn't for me. I'm going to go back to, you know, doing commerce related things or yeah. psychology related <laughs> things or whatever. And you turned it into finding out what your purpose is. I just thought, you know what, this what's happened is so bad. I, something good has to happen out of this. I will make something good. I want everyone to win. I want the planet to win. I want the farmers to win who are, you know, not using insecticides and pesticides on the on the land. I want the makers to win who are being paid fair living wages. I want the customer win- to win because she's got something beautiful that she loves and wears and if she wants to dig deeper there's positive impact information there for her to to understand and storytelling to pass on Mm. and I want the business to win and the staff to win and win-win it's all has to be about win-win something good has to come from this because I honestly life won't make sense to me if it doesn't yeah and so that's how you came up with Kitex and that's how I came up with Kitex yeah wow yeah how did you want to make it um, so different from Willow um, I think I'm I'm a designer and a creator, so I can't say that I said, okay, this is going to be very different look and feel. It was more because I've got a handwriting, obviously. Um, but as a business does and as a collection does, it takes on its own little formula of of success. Like the shirt dress is like a great successful category in Kidex. I could I never did that at Willow. I did try tried shirt dresses. They weren't the you know, so each kind of, I love the way it does that. It takes it on its own. And we've got the, our great activism tees like Save the Bees and Endangered and which are taking off. We can't 
kind of keep them in long enough into the stores they're flying out the door but um so that's really cool because that's kind of core to the brand as well the mm. activism i should just point out that you're talking about the shirt dress because i'm wearing one <laughs> yes. right now because i am a huge fan <laughs> thank you, <laughs> thank you. Um, so from a design point of view it's I, it kind of I don't differentiate it so much, more so just being high-frequency wear pieces that I try to create pieces that people can wear a lot so that it's not wear once, then discard it or wear once and then get over it and don't want to pick it out of the wardrobe again. So Mm -hmm. shirt dress, hence, you know, button up, button down, easy, sharing, easy, you want to wear, want to wear. And so high-frequency wear is a key part of that, but also dreamy, beautiful pieces as well that can be the family heirloom or pass on to friends and you'd see it in a vintage shop and one day and go oh my god that's beautiful that piece you know Mm -hmm. so creating that magic as well is key but always only using and zero compromise on it to be honest every single material we use is consciously sourced to minimize the impact on the planet and so creating new clothes at the end of the day the best thing to do for the planet is to buy vintage so the next best thing to creating newness is to create it and source it consciously and that's what I'm doing. Did you seek investment the second time around? Yeah. Was I it did. scary? Yeah, yes. But I also, I was very careful and have had really good partners in the new venture who are only interested in positive impact investment as well. So then it means that they're on the same, we're the same tribe of, of value system. That's kind of what I never thought of ever is if you have partners in life but also um, business and even you know the team and the staff if your value system is aligned because difficult things always come up you know and if you've got an aligned value system inevitably you can work out the right solution for each other and so that is that was the core point in um, in working out who is the right partner to come on board with. There would have been a a lot less information around in 2014 about um, sustainable practices in fashion. Mm. So where did you turn to for research and how did you seek out the suppliers and the manufacturing partners who who share those values and Mm. and the awareness of the social issues around production as well. So that's an interesting question. I I reached out, I did a lot of research online. Um, I also reached out to Marion Hume, um, who is in London, who is the um, Australian Financial Review fashion editor, but also incredibly uh, interested in this area. And I asked her, because I said, look, I need to know I want to know what is good for planet in materials and why and what is bad and why. And she said, speak to um, Ursula de Castro. Ursula de Castro, who started Fashion Revolution in London. So I went to London. I met Ursula. She was an incredible woman. She gave me so much information and people that I needed to talk to, one of which was Jocelyn Whipple who's the right project, who her and Roxanne were the production in production for Catherine Hamnett in London. And she's an amazing activist and um, designer. And so I met with them and they kind of told me like this, I, I engaged them to, to give me a rundown and basically an encyclopedia of what is good, why it's good, what is bad, why it's bad, and who's good, what suppliers are good. 
um, one of the which is Mozatex, which I've got this skirt on, um, organic cotton, all the organic cotton suppliers. They gave me suppliers as well. So that, that kind of got me started. And then they also introduced me to the guy, Tong, who's in Hong Kong, who um, set up an organic farm, cotton farm, and he knits the jersey and he cut and makes it in Hong Kong. And wow. he does all our T-shirts. He does all the activism tees. So that was a key contact for me. And I met with him in Hong Kong and we were very alive in everything of what you know we're doing and everything and then also um, the nest group who are based in India are based in New York and work with artisans all over the world introduced me to loom to luxury in Varanasi I went and saw them oh I love Varanasi yeah Varanasi is amazing so then we did all this could develop all this amazing new hand weave and really special so kind of yeah the touch points of working with the suppliers and do you know what just hearing you speak about your approach to setting up kidex in comparison to setting up Willow. They're worlds apart, aren't mm. they? Worlds apart. This is a totally mm. different mm. Um, perspective that you... Yes, very. ...that you approached it with. Yeah. You know, there's so much mm. more... Um, consideration. ...thoughtfulness and consideration mm. going into it, but also a lot more um, sort of collecting information mm. before you sort of... Correct. You, know, you start Correct. powering forward. Correct. So, You're so, 100% right. Yeah, yeah, is that how it felt for you Definitely. the second time around? You just sort of yep. wanted to tread a bit more carefully? Yep, and and, and really create the, the brand Bible and the brand DNA. And, you know, it went off with a bang too, Kid X. Do you think that part of that was because you were a bit more scared about diving back in, about having something Not scared similar? about diving back in, more so, no, not scared because I'd been through what I'd been through. It was more so, if I'm going to do this, I need to make sure that it's genuine and authentic to the positive impact. It was that. It was... Not just fashion for fashion. Planet sake. over profit, almost. I love that because I don't think that those two sets of values should be mutually exclusive. Mm. You know, profit... V planet, you know, it should be you should, should be able to do both at the same time. I think you're living proof of that. I could make a lot more profit if I didn't care about planet, to be honest. Mm. And that's where you've some people need to start doing it because then the economies of scale and the demand starts to, and it's starting to happen. So things like the zippers that we choose are made from upcycled rubbish, the tape. Wow, it's so much more expensive than the the normal virgin nylon ones. Mm. And we go the expensive one. Why is it more expensive? Economies of scale. So the organic cotton is more expensive than the non-organic. Why? Well, it's not as efficient, but economies of scale. You know, it's like someone has to start doing it. And that's why, like, almost every fashion interview I've ever done, I always focus on the zippers, like, because they say, oh, what can people do? I'm like, go the the, the, the zippers. The, the more expensive zippers. Yeah, the more expensive. Go the upcycled. Go the mm. organic cotton tape zippers. Go the conscious sourcing. Go, keep going down that. There are choices. Mm. You can have an organic carrot that hasn't used insecticides and pesticides or you can use a carrot that has had insecticides and pesticides, you know, on on the land, contaminating water, farmer's health. And so five years ago when you started Kitex, there there weren't very many players in the sustainable fashion space, certainly not in Australia at least. Was it difficult to attract partners and investors in those early days? It wasn't difficult to attract investors and it wasn't difficult to attract partners and the media jumped all over it 
certainly there was no designers really addressing it, I have to be honest, globally, because Stella McCartney was doing it from a person. She's much more involved now, which is fabulous, and she's such a great advocate now. And I think she probably always has been, but she was. She started it with her approach, which was to not use animal product, not from the full sustainable sourcing planet point of view, mm-hmm. But that ethos lends itself beautifully to the um, sustainable sourcing, which is what she's championing now. And now all of the big fashion houses are, are doing it. They're all they're jumping all, on board. And now they're all jumping on board. And what's happening now, which is really interesting, is every time I do fabric appointments, there's sustainable collections. And I'm like, yay, you know, <laughs> because um, it is easier now to choose new fabrics because I was very limited as well. Yeah. Mm. And now, yeah, now yeah. there'd be like a plethora now of Now there's so many more options and I'm so it. happy. And all the agents have said to me, Kit, it's not going to work. Like so many agents were like, only you care. No one else cares. That's what they said. And I'm like, ha, ah, do you remember saying that to me? Do you remember <laughs> saying no one else is going to care? Just you, Kit, do you remember that? Yes, Kit, I remember. You know, it's like, <laughs> do you know what? Though I think it takes people, the leaders like you, to, to push people in that direction because, you know, if you make something that's boring and, you know, that nobody wants to wear or that people yeah. don't like, then of yeah. course no one's going to want it. But if someone cool is doing it and yeah. you're making things that are beautiful that people want to wear, then of course it pushes people in that direction, even if they wouldn't naturally yeah. go down that way. That's what I was like. No one's sort of doing, you know, five years ago when the concept of it was being created I was like where is the design desirability sensuality mixed with the conscious sourcing of materials it's not existing it's Mm. not it's not out there so just do the conscious materials with the good design and it has to work I was sort of like how do you um wrestle with producing new goods when you know obviously as you mentioned the ideal way to help the planet is to slow consumption but then you know it's sort of fashion dictates that there's a collection every three months i know i know is that i know i'm still trying to work out how to resolve that one (laughs) um i think that yeah i yes because i sometimes have moments where i'm like why am i getting new fabric new new more freight more fabric more more everything you know and it's like and even the fact that it goes on sale i just love never for it to go on sale and why does it have to be you know try and slow it down as well the turn Mm. i think it's a tricky one and i do encourage people people to buy better and buy less buy better quality and buy less and wear more and you know I think there are interesting things coming out like renting the runway which has its own environmental implications too because of the dry cleaning that is you know that goes on after everywhere oh in between each wear Mm. that's right yeah, I mean, so, you don't want to see someone's little sweat patches under no, the No, so there's that kind the of issue. But then if it's green, dry clean, you know, so there's sort of, there could be solutions there. Yeah, so that's that's one. Vintage, I, I mean, brilliant. Buy less and buy better and, and, and mend, mendability. Yeah, absolutely. Don't throw it away. You know, you look at, like, I always go when I'm in London to the Portobello Road markets and, and the Clinton Core markets in Paris and there's always these like interesting things, devices that were created to mend socks and stockings, like a round ball of wood that you'd put into the sock and so that you could stitch the, the toe, you know, and things like that yeah. that we just... Who does that now? If something's missing a button, it'll sit in my wardrobe for you know. That's right. Two years yeah, nothing. Yeah. So it's that mendability um, piece yeah. as well, which is critical. And like my grandmother, who's 103, look at her wardrobe. She's got beautiful time, and it's creating timeless pieces as well. Beautiful timeless quality pieces 
that she's worn for literally 60 years. Wow. You know, they're not in landfill. There's hardly, there'd be almost nothing that she's ever bought that's ended up in landfill. It's either given to her children or grandchildren or it's still in her wardrobe being worn. So you talked a little bit about mending and, and mm. you know, holding on to clothes for longer. Um, what can we do about clothing care? Because I know you did a collaboration with the Australian Ballet as well. Mm. What Do you see these kinds of collaborations as a big step towards sort of maintaining sustainability and ethical fashion? I mean, the, the Australian Ballet was just totally dreamy, amazing, first um, sustainable fashion that the ballets created and then for their 2020 campaign. So, like, the leotards are made of upcycled marine litter knitted in Italy using solar power, um, made out of upcycled PET bottles, the chul, with glitter on it that's um, made from vegetable matter that will completely disintegrate in, in, the, in the ocean, and silks and beautiful silk chuls and things like that. So wow. that was amazing. And to work with their atelier with those beautiful textiles and create on the bodies the incredible creatures, um, the dancers, was, you know, a real moment. So... That was very special. Um, the photos are incredible. For anyone um, who's curious, go and have a look at Kit's Instagram page because I was looking at the photos oh. and they're otherworldly. Oh. Seeing the fabric oh. draped over their perfect bodies oh, in no. the in the landscape, it's they're stunning. So photos. beautiful. And the the main dancer who's in the pink, the nude coloured um, silk chul drape one you know she was like she's an environmentalist she wants to go and do environmental science afterwards so she had this real feel for it you know it was like this kind of magic stars aligning moment part of sort of mendability and looking after your clothes longer is um, how we care for them as well when you dry clean through a traditional dry cleaning method uh, it actually um, which I also didn't realize until I did this talk in London uh, in July with the woman who started this green dry cleaning company they dip the, the, the fashion garment into petrol, petrochemicals. The garment gets inserted into petrochemicals and then is heated to 80 degrees so that the, beyond 80 degrees, sorry, to a very high, high temperature so that it releases, the liquid turns to gas. That is the cleaning process of dry cleaning. And that gas is so toxic into the atmosphere. It's carcinogenic for the workers. It's carcinogenic for our skin that we wear it. And it's terrible for planet and it's actually very bad for the longevity of the garment because it breaks the fibres down because not only are you dipping it into petrochemicals, you're heating it to a degree that is so high that actually breaks the fibres down. I had no idea that that was the case. I knew dry cleaning was bad. I didn't realise how they do it. Mm. So green dry clean, they do it with water and salt. So they dip it in salt They dip water. it in water and, and salt mm. and, and it cleans it and then they heat it to the temperature that, wa- that um, water, which is 100 degrees, um, then evaporates and then there's water into the atmosphere, H2O. So there's no toxic chemicals released. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and they also spot clean very – so it's more expensive. The machinery that's used is, is very, very – expensive to, 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 get, to get that right. same result yeah but it's the way forward the other thing is washing the more we can wash our clothes in the machine on cold water not hot because hot water is also burns coal carbon electricity so cold water if we can all wash in cold water 
it's a it's a big sort of help to the footprint on the planet. Mm-hmm. Um, wash in cold water and wash and hang outside and dry dry without without the dryer. So we did a collaboration with AEG where they've got um, this very high tech washing machine which can do beautiful silks and wool so that you can hand wash you know it's like a hand wash but in in a machine wool jackets are tricky because a lot of them are fused and tailoring is the one thing I think does need to be dry clean but in green dry clean so we always say in our care labels green dry clean only pretty much everything else can be washed in the machine in a good machine and yeah that's why we sort of collaborated with AEG wow that's a great idea Mm. now you seem like you are you know you're always traveling you're always busy you know you're going from thing to thing can I ask you how do you practice self-love self-care balance I'm terrible at that because mama two children single mama just broke up with my husband after 17 years was with him from 22 years old oh, um sorry what a big year yeah but he's great he two years ago we're you know very close still he's like family mm. always will be and I think in a way um it empowers it's empowering to be independent and also have the choice to make a decision that if it's not right, you can make it and not mm. be on the street either. Yeah. Isn't it? And we're close and we're we're good and we're friends and the kids we're all you know, it's probably the friendliest kind of breakup that could be. <laughs> Everyone's like you too. Yes, time is very difficult. Self love I don't do. I put myself last. But I do do yoga once a week, which I'm in love with and my I've got a yoga teacher that comes to my house and, and I do that, which is my treat. Yoga is such a special treat, isn't it? I love it so much. I'm obsessed. I really love yoga. Yeah. That's my self-care and self-love thing as well. Yeah, I had a night of not very good sleep um, the night before last and I had a very big day yesterday. Mm. And I had a yoga class booked for the middle Mm. of the day. And I thought, like, there's no way Mm. that I would cancel this class. Mm. You go and it feels better. You feel better better. after than you're tired. Yeah, yeah. It's an amazing gift. I think it's such a... yeah, it's this, it's body, isn't it? It's like you're just mm. with your body, just working it, but sitting st- sitting in one place. Yeah. Yeah. And I love a good stretch. Oh, yeah. Never say no to a good stretch. Oh, yeah. <laughs> love, love a good um, headstand too. Yeah. Oh, look, I'm not there yet. Stand upside uh, down, get the blood it. to the brain. <laughs> <laughs> now, finally, what's next for Kitex? And for you, Kit Willow. Okay, well, I'm moving to Melbourne. Back to where it all began. Yes. How exciting. Family, tribe, um, yeah, going back to where the roots began. And so that's a big thing that's happening at the end of this year. And KidX obviously moving down there, keeping the store here though Mm -hmm. and moving, you know, looking for some great people down there to come on board. And Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. You're an absolute legend and an inspiration. Thank you so much. So are you, Brooke. Thanks. Stop. That was the absolutely amazing and lovely Kit Willow, founder of sustainable fashion label Kit X. If you enjoyed my chat with Kit, please rate us and leave a review if you're in the mood. This podcast is supported by Uber. Uber ignites opportunity by setting the world in motion. What started as a way to tap a button to get a ride has led to billions of moments of human connection as people go 
all kinds of places in all kinds of ways with the help of Uber's technology. To hear more future women next generation innovators, don't forget to subscribe. Next week, I'll be chatting with Jody Oster, the general manager of Uber Eats. See you then.